It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 6th. On today's show, we continue what we are calling Peaks and Valleys Week here at Crack Rackets. And of course, in the month of December, we all have time to reflect on the 2022 season. Well, this week, we want to look at the players who both A, maybe disappointed themselves, certainly fell short of the expectations we had for them entering the 2022 season. But of course, to keep a glass half full perspective as well, we also want to look at the players who reached new peaks, I should say, in 2022. Who are the players who reached new career heights throughout the course of this season? And how replicable are those seasons as we move forward? It's going to be an exciting podcast. I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. And If we are going to try and tackle a topic so monumental, I better have some help for me on this show. Thankfully, I do with a first-time guest joining us here on today's mini break. Now, some of you may recognize his dulcet tones as he is a play-by-play announcer for our dear friends at Tennis Channel. Also a man working behind the scenes as a producer. You saw his smiling face right alongside me at the desk during my week's second serve, the new T2 show we launched at the start of November, but perhaps most importantly, you remember this player best for capturing the Wilson ITA Northern Cal Championships in doubles with his partner, Jordan, excuse me, Pedro Zerbini. It is our dear friend, Jeff Chisover. Chiz, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Well, do, does each show have a two minute and 15 second intro? Because <laughs> that was amazing. And is this also, if you're having me as a guest, I know it's off season. Is this a peak or is this a valley for the show? That's what I want to know. Let me say this. It would be <laughs> peak in that I don't think we're going to replicate this valley ever again. So it's the highest of the lows we'll hit yes. here on this show. But yeah, you know, this proves fake editor in chief, as Gil Gross likes to call me. That two and a half int- minute intro is a working intro each and every week when we don't have the rock and music, the panda effects, as well as Steve's just exceptional ring in tone. I got to get creative here. I got to stretch things to two and a half minutes, but it's great to have you here. Uh, again, off season mode for you. What is the next, what does December look like? Yeah, no, this is cool because December at Tennis Channel, because I feel like the people that are staff workers like myself get a little crushed during the year in a good way, like 3 a.m. call times, 10 straight, then we'll get some days off. Not that I'm overworked at all, but December is super chill. I got to admit, I, I've been in the office once in the last three weeks, so uh, it's a good time for NFL, for my Lakers, but now I'm just <laughs> pumped because I got your rundown. Even though I asked for the rundown last night, this is how Gruskin <laughs> treats his 
Yes, I get the rundown this morning, so I tried to cram in a little, but I'm ready to talk some tennis because uh, it's been a while since I've talked tennis, so let's get it going. I'm excited for that. Yes, I will say this. Most of our guests don't even get an outline, so that's how you know I care about you that much What was your, your intro for me? What did you do? You went to calbears.com. Like, there's, a little bit, there's a few better results, but yeah, the regional is pretty good. Got to Look. the... I was going to say Robert Farah's nemesis, but I wasn't sure we wanted to get there right off the start. Uh, I'm mad I called him Jordan because there's a guy named Jordan Zordani who played for Wisconsin as opposed to Pedro Zerbini, uh, and that's where I confuse the names to start. But I will say, yes, I have the Cal Bears website open in front of me right now. And let me just say two things. A, Whatever you were doing with your hair back in 2007 when this photo was taken, it is much better 15 years later in 2022. B, and I think most importantly in Mr. and Mrs. Chisiver, who I would call Mr. and Mrs. Hauser, of course, affectionately, they would say, gee, the jawline also looks a little bit better. You're like 10 pounds below your playing weight. That's pretty funny. I know exactly what you're talking about. My faces <laughs> definitely look fat in all my tennis pictures in 2006, 2009. It's funny to think that way, but I actually have weirdly stayed like in yeah. better shape post-college. I, I, it's a good call. My face is definitely fat in those pictures. <laughs> No, look, it was a backhanded compliment in that you photo better now than then. But let me say this. You were also on camera now, probably less so than you were then. So it matters. You know, those are the little adjustments that you've made. But I think some people would be fascinated to hear this because, look, you played college tennis. I say Robert Farah's nemesis, but you played obviously at a very high level for both Colorado and Cal throughout your career. And then you got into tennis. And I'm sure because I know I get this question all the time. There are listeners, people who may not even have as tennis of a background as Tennessee of a background as you do, but ask, how do I get into it? I just want to be a part of making the product. And I'm curious for you how you got into Tennis Channel and just got into this industry. Just me playing college tennis is pretty crazy by itself. I don't know how much time we have on this, but I was a walk-on at Colorado. For the record, I could just say this at the start. We have as much time as you need, my friend. Well, it, just because it's like it's weird talking about yourself, but it's actually a pretty crazy story. I was a sick junior tennis player in the 10s and 12s. I didn't play tennis from 12 to 18. I was playing football. I was playing basketball. I went to Colorado. I thought I was going to play on the football team. I never did. And then after my freshman year, I walked on the Colorado tennis team, who was kind of always my best sport, made the team. Then they cut the team at the end of that year. So Title IX, no more men's tennis. I was totally happy to stay at Boulder and not play tennis. Uh, and then in the summer, I think it was 06 or 07, we started hearing from schools because now there's nine kids that don't have a place to go to school. I got into USC. I got into UCSB. I, I was like, and then all of a sudden I got into Cal, which is just insane. I wasn't even the best student. I had like a 2.9 GPA at Colorado. <laughs> and the next thing you know, I got into Cal in like July. So I said yes to Cal. Shout out to Peter Wright up there in the Bay. So cool. Uh, and then I played three years um, Cal tennis, played number one doubles, played low in the singles lineup and just missed All-American by the two most annoying ways ever, losing round me. of 16 in the NCAAs and being one or two ranking spots outside of the top eight to end the year. So that was really frustrating. Because <laughs> Who'd you guys lose I'm, to? We lost to Nate Schnug and Oh, that's a good, yeah. first of all, small team though. Hunt, you know, Jamie losing a doubles match to Jamie. That's got to be tough. 
Dude, it's just annoying because you do selfishly. I love college tennis because of the team sport, but selfishly, you just want to say, yeah, I was an All-American. And I was top 10 all year long with Pedro. And then I, I think I finished nine or 10 and you got to be top eight or make the quarters of NCAAs. And I lost a round of 16. So anyway, that's how I got to play college tennis. And then I'm from LA. I came back down here. I'm obsessed with sports, any and all sports. And for me, it was like, it was a tough time to get a job then. I think I was teaching tennis for like a year and a half, living at my parents' house. And then it was like, okay, who do I know? Who does my friends know? Who does my dad know? I mean, that's kind of unfortunately how it is in any industry. And all my contacts led me to talent agencies and television networks. So like, do I want to be a sports agent? Do I want to be in TV? I didn't even know. But uh, I eventually just got some freelance production assistant job at Fox Sports West when it was like Lakers, Clippers, UCLA, USC. And then I got a full-time job at the Spectrum Lakers when they launched in 2012. Worked there for five or six years, kind of like helping producing studio shows pre and post game. And then, um, and then I got in touch uh, with Tennis Channel and that was about four years ago. And it's been great because, uh, you know, tennis is such a niche sport and it's weird because every sports fan knows first and 10, fourth down, like dunk, three-pointer, but it, tennis isn't really like that. You can kind of get exposed pretty quickly if you don't know the sport, not that you can't learn it. So I think there's an, a, kind of an advantage when I knew television and I knew tennis. So, uh, so many cool people to meet at Tennis Channel. I've been there for four years, like you mentioned, um, producing some of the shows, producing some of the tennis, but now calling some of the matches and I get to even uh, meet a baller like yourself. Hmm. So uh, yeah, it's been four years, it's been great. I just want you to know, in post production, all we we cut everything, but I get to meet a baller, but yourself, like yourself, and that's all people heard. <laughs> yeah, in that answer, my amazing story's gone. Yeah, but the baller yeah. comment is in. No, sure. that's fascinating, and just I do want to ask two follow ups, and then we'll get to our WTA peaks, and then we have a very fun segment we're bringing back here on today's show in honor of Chiz gracing us with his presence. Um, you know, there's an adage that goes, absence makes the heart grow f fonder. And I'm curious for you, because there are a couple of experiences there, both in your playing career, stepping away from tennis from 12 to 18, and then professionally stepping away from tennis and going to work on a couple of studio shows that are non-tennis centric. Did that make the heart grow fonder? What? Okay, the part where I didn't play tennis? Yeah, just for the sport in general, or even stepping away from it professionally. Yeah, it was... I loved all the team sports. So I remember after my freshman year at Colorado, I was home that summer and I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, I need to play <laughs> sports. And I literally was like, you know, you can't just be like, how do I play D1 sports? I was just, I was, I was really good in the tens, man. I'm telling Little you. Little Moe's? <laughs> Little Moe's champ? What? <laughs> Little Moe's champ? Uh, I don't know if it's Little Moe's, but sectional, <laughs> easy win for me. Voluntary. I got you know, all the... Got all the 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 letters now. I mean, well, that was true, but uh, it was just about getting back into sports. And even though I was a little afraid of tennis, like I was the mental midget that would cry when kids would cheat, and that's why I bailed on tennis because I just loved the team sports. But then I was like, college tennis is a team sport. I remember I went to one of the matches at Colorado, and that's what I was so down for. I was like. This is great. I'm like afraid of the individual tennis part. That's kind of when I bailed when I was younger. But now it's like in a team format. So that's how I got, uh, I guess, kind of the, the courage, so to speak, to try to walk on the team uh, before my sophomore year. Yeah. I, I mean, it's fascinating because, 
you mentioned it there. That's funny. You weren't the best student. For the record, I was listening. Um, and, you know, Cal, Peter Wright just comes out of nowhere and says, hey, come play for us. That's fascinating. Some have argued, Chiz, some scholars, that you were the original transfer portal swoop, that that's what set the precedent in tennis. Chiz going Colorado to Cal is what's unleashed the wave we see today. But I have to explore that because we do see some programs under pressure now, certainly. What's it like when a program just gets canceled on campus? Like, what is that like for you as a student athlete, in, you know, who ostensibly, I'm sure, was enjoying that experience? I didn't even know. Like, I remember it was uh, Mike Bone. He was the AD yeah. at the time, and he came and visited the tennis team. And it's all foreigners. I was one of, I think, two Americans on the team. There was like nine kids. And I didn't even know, like, I didn't even, I didn't know what that means. Like, oh, is it done for a year? Like, are we not going to, it was right before we went to NCAAs. I remember we went to UCLA. We played Arizona first round. We lost to UCLA second round. But um, I didn't even know what Title IX was. And this is going to sound so bad, but a little bit of relief came over me at that moment because we had a coach named Sam Winterbottom who then went to Tennessee to coach JP Smith, tennis Sanger and all them. He was awesome. He got the most out of me, but he was hard, man. He was crazy. <laughs> like there were workouts at five in the morning where people were consistently puking, no joke. And I, in maybe another mental midget way, I was down to just do my one year of tennis and that was it. And just say, I did it. So I was going to stay at Boulder. And so I felt really bad for all the other kids on the team that had more years of eligibility because I knew they wanted to keep playing. And that's why they came to the States. Like we had a Serbian kid. We had two Czech kids. We had an Indian kid. Like they came to the States to play tennis. And I was like, well, you can't play tennis anymore, but you can stay here. We'll, we'll, um, you know, we'll respect your scholarship. A lot of them ended up transferring. So uh, it was really, I'll then thank Sam again for forcing me. He's like, dude, you got to keep playing, man. You have three years of eligibility, like just do it. And then I was like, all right, I'm only going to do it if it, you know, if it's a, like a really good school. And then it was just crazy. You know, once it was USC, it was like, all right, I'm going to USC. And then two days later, it was like, oh, it's Cal. I'm going to Cal. So, um, I was dissing Sam for a second. Um, but that it was, I kind of put it all on him. He's the one that kept me going. And, uh, and I'm so glad because Cal was so awesome. I met so many cool people and, and, um, I'm all about sports and teams. So it was, it was so cool to even come back to Northern California and be, you know, not in LA, but close to LA. My parents could come watch my matches and, are we this i think it's been 20 minutes like, no, one <laughs> no cares about my no, story they do because you know i think a lot of people think this anyone who played significant amounts of tennis growing up like you've had the thought on a court i say it's the binary system are you a one or a zero did you play tennis growing up or are you now just playing tennis and yeah. obviously we are both ones and it's always funny sometimes i like to think to myself like i wonder how many people in the world are actually better at because sometimes you think to yourself what am i better at in the world than anyone else i don't know or maybe yeah. you don't think that to yourself but that's what i think to myself when i'm slaving away at the bike to keep this jawline looking fresh and like you know i actually think I think you could attest to this. I always say college tennis knowledge. I think I could get into the world rankings conversation. Like, yeah, I could find oh a sponsor. Dude, on you're that. number one. You're already number <laughs> yeah. one. I no, guarantee. Colette Lewis and Bobby Knight would like to have a conversation. They'd be like, put us on the Mount Rushmore. Come kiss the ring, Alex. And I would respect them. But like playing tennis casually, I think, is also up there on the list. And then I think, but like, wait, how many chizzes of the world are out there who are just casually finishing seasons number nine in the college tennis double? 
Bowls rankings, who I'm just like, man, if they really wanted to, I'm sure they could still smoke me. And so it is just fascinating to hear that about tennis in particular, because it is such a lifetime sport, right? And that's why I think our listeners will care to hear, dare I say, 10 minutes on Jeff Chisver and how he becomes who he is today. But what you are today is someone who likes to analyze and talk about all things tennis. And that is what we will do moving forward here on this show. And again, the topic, Chiz and I, thank you, are hoping to cover here today is, of course, looking at those WTA players who peaked in 2022. And I sent you a list of players I had in mind. The way I view peaking, I think there are three categories of peaks. There's a young player on the rise who is continuing their ascent. Think Like an Iga Svantec. There's no doubt Iga peaked here in this 2022 season. She set a new high. I think that's one category of peak. I think category two involves the players who are like 24 to 28 years old, 29, and in the prime of their career and clearly playing that best tennis. And we see them at the peaks of their powers, dare I say. And then there's the third element of this conversation, which got me in a lot of trouble with David Kane, and I think might get me in trouble with you here today. And I'm curious what you view of this is like, and this can get us even into our first name. When I look at someone like Own Jabur and what she accomplished during the 2022 season, there's no doubt Own Jabur was unequivocally one of the, you know, three best players. Iga, Honestly, I'd take Barty's month of January over anything else anyone did throughout the course of the year. And then you probably have Jabur right in that third spot. And, you know, Own yeah. Jabur did something that just about no one has done since 2017. She made two slam finals this year. And, you know, you look even in the 2020s, Kennan made two slam finals in a single year. Iga made two slam finals in a single year. And now Own Jabur has done it as well. And when I look at Owns, who, again— was one of five players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. She went 47 and 17 overall on the year. She ends the season world number two. There's no doubt she had a peak season here this year. But the question I ask myself is how replicable is this season for Own Jabur moving forward? And even if she stays this same tennis player, Chiz, my biggest worry for Jabur is just like, I don't think she ends a year world number two ever again in her career. And I do think this might have been her peak season, which again, glass half full, there's maybe five players, well, more than five because of the Kvitovas of the world, but there's only a handful of players who have had better individual seasons in their career than Own Jabur's 2022. But I do wonder if this is replicable, and I'm curious where you are with her. Well, I love the subjectivity of what a peak is. And I like just taking hard stances and I'll explain why. This is not the peak of Ons Jabor. I agree with you. She will never finish a year ranked number one. She might sniff it for a couple of weeks, possibly. It's not crazy. You know, you're really always just one injury away. She's the second best player in the world for a reason, and she is. But because she lost the two finals and the Wimbledon one was so heartbreaking because she was the favorite. She won the first set, I think, against Rabakina. The other one was U.S. Open. She lost to Svantec. But this is not the peak because she will win a major. Super confident that will happen. And at that moment, that will be the peak. So I guess I'll ask you, let's say she finishes ranked five or six next year or the year after and she wins a slam. Do you think that year will be more peak-ish than this year because you're great you bring in all the numbers she's ranked two 
And each player, we don't even know. What do they prefer? Is it about the rankings? Is it titles? Is it Grand Slams? But when you get to the finals in the Grand Slam and you lose, especially one so prestigious like Wimbledon, she's going to win a major, and that will be her new peak. And when she wins the major, you know, granted, she's got health. She'll be in the top 10. She'll be in the top five. But that is why she has not reached her peak, because I think she's got a great chance at multiple majors, too. But I'm so confident she will win one major, and that'll be her peak. Well, you crystallized the argument perfectly right there. If you believe Own Jabur is going to win a major, then the answer to this question is no. She hasn't reached her peak. But I hesitate to think she is going to win a major. And I do wonder, again, statistically, superficially, what I see with my eyes, which, again, tennis is very much a sport you have to analyze with your eyes because you can see forehand good, backhand bad, etc. That said, what I've seen with my eyes and with the numbers for the last three years is Own Jabur kind of is who she is at this point. You look for her last three seasons, 71.8, 74.6, 72.1. Those were her three hold percentages, all within a you know 3% framework, all uh, you know, within the ranked 15th to 23rd amongst WTA players uh, for an individual season. Very good server, not an elite server. And I think those numbers would match what we see with our eyes. On the other side of the equation, you look at her return of serve. Again, she's been between 38.7 and 41.7 the last three seasons. That's between, you know, eighth best and 15th best on the WTA tour. Again, very, very good, but not necessarily elite of the elite. And I think when I look at Own Jabur, that's what it comes down to is she is the definition of a tier two player to me. I think Own Jabur is going to beat. No, no. Here's what I mean by tier two player. I think she is going to beat everyone she is supposed to beat in a given season. And this year reflected that fact. She was 20 and 4 against opponents ranked outside the top 50, 38 and 8 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. But here's why she's tier 2. 9 and 9 against top 20 opponents, 2 and 7 against the top 10. I think she beats everyone she's supposed to beat. And again, statistically one of just 5 players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. She's very good at everything. Is she elite at anything? I don't know the answer to that question, and I know Iga's elite. I yes, think she is. No, I. So what is she elite at then? What's the argument? Here, here's the issue. There's a lot of one-dimensional players in the top ten, and her elite status is that she does it all well. She's comfortable all play. She she's an elite athlete, and she okay. has elite feel. And I know people get a little obsessed with like variety. You know, we're gonna talk about Kazakina in a little. Barty's a perfect example. I think Jabour is a little Barty light, and that a lot of people love the drop shots, they love the slice, the change in spins. But I think the forehand and the serve are technically big, like. Now, there are some huge hitters. Is it as big as Sabalenka or, you know, other players like that? Maybe not, but I think the forehand and serve is elite. And if you think she's going to beat the players she's supposed to, she's going to be a top four seed probably in every major. So that means, in your eyes, she's going to get to the semis. So, you know, <laughs> I, I get it. it. It's too it's silly to say she'll for sure win a major because that's a lot. But 
Are you saying gun to your head? She will not win a major. I, I got gun to your head is super gnarly, but I kind of no, love it. No, because it's, it's just like you have to take a stance. Yeah, it's it's the fair approximation to make. Yeah, I would say no. That's why she's tier two, not tier one. I always say tier one players for me are players. I would bet my life that they will win one slam by the end of this decade. So January 1st, 2030. And I think Iga is obviously the clear cut tier one player coming out of 2022. Goff at 18 years old to be top 10. I have her as a tier one talent. I think Jung Chin Wen might slowly be elevating herself into that tier as well. I have a lot of eggs in the Arena Sabalenka basket. I just think her upside, like again, some of these players I'm referring to, you feel like their best, even already, might be better than Jabur's best. And a lot of these players, this is really also the crux of the argument with why I think Jabur might have peaked, and you'll see some of the other players on the list as well. The talented WTA players are all so young. Like, Naomi Osaka, I think, is what, like 25 years old? At this point, she still hypothetically could have some really good tennis ahead of her. And Drescu yeah. is no older than 23, and we've already seen their peaks. Kennan in that same conversation. Obviously, Sabalenka like just turned 24, and then there's the Goths, the Chin Wens, if you want to get hipsterish the clara the chin, wins, the, the chin wins no, of the world the fruvertovas who are still uh, you know we do not eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion fruvertova is not eliminated yet at 15 and 17 they still could potentially be the greatest of all time I, but like there's a lot of really good really young players and credit to jabur she has been one of the biggest winners of this 26 month pandemic era stretch where we are clearly in the midst of a generational shift like serena Kerbers, Kvitovas of the world, they're no longer in charge. It's this next generation coming up. And I just wonder if Jabur's window might have closed this year. Like you two slam finals is really hard to replicate. Yeah, you know what? You've, you've you've almost changed my mind a little bit. Like now I'm like, is she, you're right. Is she going to win a slam? I'm making it seem like it's so easy. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still going. With, I'm with you. She will never finish the year two. Uh, she actually hasn't even won that many titles, which is kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, I'll take her for a slam in her future, and that'll be her peak. By the hey. way, we're like, yeah, I got about forty-five minutes left here for my stupid call, and we're going heavy on the first. <laughs> women. The See, this is why I like working with people in the industry too, because I do not have media training, and I just really enjoy hearing people's perspe- uh, perception of how I structure the show. Bro, we, we might have to cut off Bushkova. No. Yeah, and no, no, no. We're, we're getting faster from here. I promise. Jabur, I think, is just the most fascinating of. Well, I yeah, think yeah, these first two are the most fascinating of the cases. And by the it's way, death by one. death by badgering is my argumentative style. So I just yep. keep going till you agree with me as you've learning. All right. Next. That's Jabur number one. Number two, Jessica Pagula, who ends the season as the top ranked American. She finishes as world number three. Now, I think if I would have told you even as recently as, you know, the start of last year, midway through last year, when she was having a really good season, hey, Pagula is going to end 2022 number three. You'd be like, all right, like slow, slow down. That's a little bit of a hot take. But I would say no chance. I would have yeah, bet so much money that that would be no. Exactly. And Pagula this season, 42 and 21. But the big number I keep coming back to is the quarterfinals. She made nine quarterfinals. Here's where they were. Australian Open, Miami, Madrid, Roland Garros, Toronto, Cincinnati, U.S. Open, San Diego, which I would just preface by arguing some said San Diego was the strongest draw we saw of any WTA event this season. We saw Pagula in the quarterfinals there. Guadalajara, too. She makes the quarterfinals as well. Now, the WTA finals will certainly put a damper on the season, but world number three. I mean, 
again, 28 years old, she reached a new career high ranking. That said, those nine quarterfinals were everywhere on the season. And it's just like, if she slips up even once, it's going to be really hard to replicate that. Same argument applies for Jabour. The top's going to keep getting more and yeah. more crowded. This is the peak for Pagula, right? Is that so? It's a, your, your, yours is an easy yes, she's reached her peak. Is that correct? I think it has to be because, like, how can it get? I just what I don't see the only better than this. I'll is, tell again, you why. It, I'll tell okay. you why. Go ahead. This is beautiful. No, no, no. Please tell me why. Okay. So the key stat, the quarterfinals. So I'm with you. She's not going to finish the year ranked three. Yeah. But, you know, one is a huge checkpoint to get to. If you're three, that's great. If she finishes a year six or seven, but she does these other things I'm about to mention, then it's a new peak. So my main thing is I think four out of the last five Grand Slams, she's re- reached the quarters. And her last three losses in a Grand Slam quarters were to Barty, Schwantek, and Schwantek. So it's pretty crazy to think that – if she just wasn't on that side of the draw or that portion, it's not crazy to think she would have made a semi. You know, if you made the semis, maybe you make a final. So I just like to be contradictory. She won't be three in the world again. But the reason why I think, like, her her game and her success when you watch the tennis isn't fluky. It's not crazy at all. It, it's, in fact... You know, I'm always going to come back to Sabalenka. She crushes it. She's got the power. But she's kind of a choker, and she has these matches where she just sprays it, and she kind of sucks. I know that's mean to say, but (laughs) but with Pagula, it's easy power, and it's consistency. It's like almost cautious power, and you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't look tough. So for me, I think she's going to make multiple, I'm going to say two semifinals of a slam in the next eight attempts. If she makes the semis... Then, you know, once you get to the semis, can you make a final? So I think there are deeper runs in the Grand Slams to be had for her. Uh, I think her game's only developing. We've seen her in doubles. She's got one of the most underrated best volleys on the women's tour just because you don't think of her volleys. You know, she's not like the athlete of the net, like Coco cutting off balls, but she's got really solid, quick hands and you can't just like overpower when she's at the net. So I, I just like to go against you. It it really does feel like this is the easiest peak out of all the women on our list today. But I do think she's going to make the semifinal or multiple semifinals of a slam. And if she were to make the finals of a slam and then be ranked five or six, I think to her, that would be a new peak. Not to mention getting to the finals again, the WTA finals I'm talking about. Not going 0-3, maybe getting into the final group. That could be another cool checkpoint just to say she had a better year. So uh, that's just the way I see her having even a better year in the next two years. She's 28. She's a late bloomer. I love the late bloomers. It's quote-unquote old, but we're starting to learn it's not old because – the fact of the matter is Jabour and Pagula are playing the best tennis of their life at 28. If you're playing the best tennis in your life at 28, can you not play it at 29 and 30? So I'm with you a little bit. She's not going to be three in the world, but I do see some deep grand slam runs in her future. And that's why she's still got a little more of a peak left in her game. Our word of the week here at Cracked Rackets in the holiday spirit, shout out to the Justice League cartoon Christmas special, is jejun. And I will say why I knew having you as a good guest would be that your arguments against me would ensure 
Your words are anything but jejun. Shout out to jejun and the fans out there. It's a great word. It flows off the tongue. Um, it flows off the tongue. I still don't get it. But uh, yeah, it, it so, means yeah, anything but not interesting. But so here's what I'm saying. New- you illustrated the argument beautifully. Is what I wanted to say about Pagula is that there are still low hanging fruit. And you're right. It's like she lost to the Slam champs. It's like yes. you can't penalize her for that. That said, if she reaches the semifinals or the final and still loses to the same Slam champ. Is it that different of a result than we saw from her this year? You're right. Like a slam final is still the low hanging fruit of ceiling peak to be there. So I'm going to agree with you and say no. I think the window is open, but it's closing on Pagula. If she made the semis twice this year, I think I would be easy to say she won't do any better. But because the the quarters and then those next two, there's kind of a big difference. You know, we're going to talk about I'm. One of the persons on my list is Tommy Onovich. She reached the quarters. She's a player I don't think will get to a semi of a Grand Slam. But uh, so gun to to your head real quick before the next woman. Do you think Pagula gets to a semi of the slam in the next eight attempts? (sighs) Yes. A semi, yes. A final, no. Two semis would be an improvement on the peak. And let me just say this because sometimes this – discussion can be perceived as negative if Pagula just sustains and it's just like she makes another tour finals next year that's still an unequivocal success like if you're a top eight player two years in a row that's ridiculous it's just a question of really what we're doing here is do you think there's another level to go for Pagula not sure about that you brought up an interesting name not on my list Isla Tomjanovic shout out to all of our second serve appearers she has now in back-to-back seasons made quarterfinals at slams and she's put her in a top 40 conversation. Now, the joke we like to say is there are currently 40 top 20 players on the WTA Tour, and I think on the right week, you can throw Tom Janovich on that list. The question is, is this a peak, or do you see higher for her, Chiz? So, she got 30 wins the first time this season. The highlight was that yeah. U.S. Open run. She beat Serena. She was on second serve. I'm such a big fan of her. Her eyes I loved her. Gorgeous. I, yeah. when I, when, yeah, she, she was awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't see her making a semi of a major, but I'm super surprised that she's at her career high right now, which is 33. And it is so, it doesn't sound crazy at all to see the numbers 20 in front of her name as ranking wise. Like she's going to be seated at majors. So she's not going to do better at the slams. If I had to guess, like, you know, I love it how we just make, we just say stuff like we're the authority. <laughs> like, you know, she's not going to make the semi. Like, what if she heard that? She'd be like, who are these jokes? <laughs> so I, I think her ranking will improve, even though she's got points to defend. Obviously she will at one point be a mainstay in the twenties for half a season. And that's why she has a new peak to her game is just for her. The new peak is ranking. She's not going to win a slam. Uh, She's another late bloomer in the sense she's got to improve the the medium and the short game. Like she, 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 you know, she got to get better on defense and she's got to get better at the net. You know, she needs just a more complete game, but she's super solid and strong for the baseline and she'll be in the twenties. And that's why there's new peaks to come for her for the ranking. The argument against would be her hold percentage for her career, 64%. The average of a top 50 player this year, 71%. And that 64% number isn't an aberration. That's uh, aberration, excuse me. That's who she's been for the majority of her career. Now, the break percentage has flown up. And this year is at 37.5%, a top 25 number. When she's this fit physically, 
It's just she's going to put a million balls in play. She's I always say she's the litmus test player. Do you want to be a top 50 player? You better be able to beat Isla Tomjanovic. If you can't, you're not ready for the top 50. But I think that's like that's that's her role. She is that yeah. litmus test player. And you're right. I think her range could be six ranking spots higher. I also yeah. think it could be six ranking spots lower. And so, you know, this was her top 20 season. Had she gotten Wimbledon points, she would have ended the year in the top 30s. And like... I, I do wonder if that's it, but I, I, I do agree that, again, I see this level sustaining for her as well over the course of the next couple of seasons. What about in that same Jabor Pagula vein, and we can do this one quickly because it's literally the same argument, are you just kind of, is Sakari is who she is at this point? Because had she not had the final month of her season, like she would be on every disappointing list, but she had that final month and it kind of salvaged things like. I think she just kind of is who she like. She's an eight through fifteener, where it's just like, yeah, she'll be a top half seed, but I don't know if she's a serious threat to win the biggest titles. I just I hate being completely negative because it's yeah. like, who are we? But yeah, sure. Unfortunately, I put her in the group of chokers. Sure. Uh, she and the the key stat, and this is why I'm going to leave some glimmer of hope for her to have better seasons is that she kind of has the Felix effect early on in the finals. She's one in six in finals and she's oh and four in finals this season. So like her chance to get a new peak would be to just kind of get that monkey off her back and lift some trophies. How crazy is that? She has one does she have one title? No, that's nuts. She has one title. Yeah. How do you have one title and you've been to three in the world? Like that's insane. And she's made the semis twice. That's so, actually that actually is nuts to have one title and be number three in the world. So again, what's the criteria? Like, if she lifts three trophies this year, but she finishes five in the world, which is two off her career high, I don't see her getting to a final of a Grand Slam. Final four is not crazy. She's done it twice. So she also, I've heard her say in interviews, she just lacks the feel and. I don't know. What The great thing with her is she competes. We know she takes her fitness very seriously, so she's durable. Uh, her win percentage has improved every year since 2016, so why can't she improve again? She's only 27, so um, I think just because I want to do the positive spin, her her new peak would be lifting multiple trophies in a year, and I don't think that's crazy for her to do, and I think she should, and that should be – I mean – that, that should be her new goal. So she's strange, man. I no. kind of feel bad for her at times. I definitely root for her. Uh, but you put it perfectly, though. Just like because last year post-French Open, she had a massive dip. This year, there was a whole half of the season where she had a massive dip. Avoid the dip. Like if she can avoid that dip, she will put together a better and more consistent top five season or top eight season than she has the past two years. So I agree with you. I actually think there is still some room for improvement for Saka. Yeah. Let's not forget, she served for that French Open semifinal against Krachikova. It's like, if that match just goes a little bit, you know, two points go differently, yeah. she's a slam champion, and maybe the whole conversation around her is different. I, I think she's worked herself into a top 10 server. She's improved it in six out of the last seven years. Like, I agree. I think there's still more on the Maria Sakharov. Okay, dude, we're at 11, by the way, and we need to get in these would-you-rathers because you're going to love them. <laughs> okay, we will. Then let's rapid-fire through these last names. First okay. of all, do you have any left on your list? 
Uh, no, all I added was uh, Tomjanovic to someone that I think would be an easy. She's reached her peak just because she's another player at her career high. Okay, well then I'm going to give you a name and make a very quick argument and you just tell me yes or no. Uh, okay. Let's look at Veronica Kudermatova, who obviously reaches a tour finals here this season. I don't think anyone expected that for Kudermatova, who started the year, you know, perennially in that 25 to 40 range. For what it's worth, via ELO ratings, Kudermatova ends the year 40th compared to her ranking of number nine. Now, the big number for Kudermatova, she reached 11 quarterfinals this season. She trailed only Iga and owns in that number. Dare I say, Chiz, that feels like a peak. This is my easiest. No, she has not reached her peak. Uh, I just, it looks so legit and so unfluky. When you go from 40s to 10, that next season's tough because you have points to fend, but she's only 25. I love her success in doubles. And like I said with Pagula, her power slash consistency looks pretty easy to me. And I am easily predicting new career high rankings for her in the next three years. I think... She will finish two out of the next four years in the top 10. She's one in four in five finals appearances. I just think she's she was like the easy forgotten about person in a way. Like, how did she get there? But then because when you work at Tennis Channel, you watch so much effing tennis. Like, <laughs> it just, it got to the point where like, wow, this is so unfluky. She's just legit. She's going to be in the top 10 for years to come and she will win more titles because she doesn't have many. She's going to get higher to number nine. So Kudermatova is actually an easy no, she has not reached her peak. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the right answer. She's top 10 server, has an elite trait to build off of. Couldn't agree more. On the flip side, Daria Kasakina, another surprise WTA. Kasakina, excuse me. I'm always back and forth on the pronunciation. Surprise WTA Tour finalist. She made eight quarterfinals this year. Ends the year world number eight. Now, she had been top 10 early in her career, but... I don't know. Grand Slam semifinal this year. She was number two in break percentage, but 49th in hold percentage amongst top 50 players. I just don't know how replicable it feels. I feel like the the Kudermatova winning behind serve feels more replicable than Kasakina breaking everyone as frequently as she did. That said, I ask you, totally. peak or not peak? She is my easy. Yes, she's reached her yeah. peak. I'm with you. Like it, As they all get more powerful and powerful at the top of the women's game, like the biggest weapon for most girls, uh, most women, I should say, is second serve crushage. And she has a terrible second serve. Um, you put it perfectly. It's kind of interesting because she got to the top 10 in 2018. And then she kind of rediscovered her tricky form and what makes her so successful. So it's like she's proved it twice. So why can't she keep it up? She can keep it up a little bit, but uh, it's just too easy for her to get overpowered. and. Um, I don't see any finals in a Grand Slam for her. She's already made the semis uh, multiple times, or maybe just once. I think I think the one, the two semis at the French, maybe I forget what the one was early in her career. If it was a quarter yeah, or a semi, it, but it might two. have been a quarter. Yeah, uh, but you did it perfectly. It's just uh, 
I like the players that are consistent and make balls and play defense like her because you get these powerful players that are off their game and spray, but you can't roll through five or six consecutive wins against top players with that second serve. And so I don't think she'll get ever higher than eight or seven and she's not making the finals of a major. That's my guess. So she is my one easy. Yes. She's reached her peak. Tom Yanovich no, is your top. Only. Yeah. Tom Yanovich is your top 50 litmus test. Kasakina is your top 25 where it's like, you better be even more consistent because anything you hang, she's going to pulverize. All right. We can just turn this to straight interested or not interested. These final names going into 2023 coming off of their 2022. Is there more left in the tank? Alexandrova, interested, uninterested. Dude, this is crazy. I had no idea that she's never been higher than 19 in the world. I know. She like her when she's good, she's really good. And she's the ultimate beat the player she should beat. I looked at all her losses. They're all yeah. like, you know, Vika, Jabour. I, I just named two, but I was on your favorite tennis abstract earlier looking at it. <laughs> um her, her win totals have improved the last three years. I just like her stoic face on court, takes it very seriously. She never really disappears. The one issue with her is that she's not good on the clay. She needs the fast mm-hmm. surfaces. So will she always have that dip in that middle part of the season? But for me, just I can't see 19 being her career high, which it is now. So no, she has not reached her peak. Okay. I think that's fair. Benchich. Oh my gosh. How has she not won a slam? I know it's crazy. To- Amen. Amen. Preaching. She's like, she's a little like Zverev for me. Although Zverev has been more consistently top five. They both won the Olympic gold, right? Mm-hmm. So, dude, I don't get her, man. I, gun to my head. Oh, she's going to win a slam. So for that, she's an easy no. I don't even know how she's not consistently in the top 10. I, Talk about second serve crusher. My comp for her is Fritz, where they're both just like, they can't really move as well as you need to move, but their ability to strike the tennis ball has never been in question. Like, when Belinda Bencic connects on a backhand, you're just like, yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like. Like, just, is everyone watching? This is what Belinda Bencic should do. She was horrible at the slams this year. That's the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, and I would say the thing about the movement is your, that's a great comparison. I love that with the Fritz, but... I don't think the movement, the superior movement, is that necessary to succeed on the women's tour versus the men's tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I she's. I mean, when she was a teen, she was in the top. She 10 was or the one. I think she was the one. Like she was the best teenager of the 2010s. Where it was like, you know, her CC Bellis is in that. We're not going to go through the history lesson. I promise. Because semis once in a yeah major. U.S. Open 2019, which like feels like a crime. It's like how is that possible? She's never even made the quarters of the other three. Yeah, it's crazy. She's like, only you, 25. So for me, easy no. She'll be back in the top five, and I think she wins a major. I agree, Buskova. She got really good this year. Is there another gear? That's the only one I didn't even look at. I was like, dude, are we even going to get to Bush? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then let's leave that there. The other shout outs I would give were Samsonova, Bernarda Pera, just for their win streaks. I don't know how replicable it is for Samsonova to win 36 of 38 sets she plays over uh, an 18 match stretch. And like Bernarda Pera went like 19 and 2 during okay, one. Yeah. I agree with the Pera. That seemed a little fluky, which yeah. again, I just hate being negative. It's so like, yeah. who are we? But Samsonova, I don't know, man. 
Her I agree. Streak, that looks like the real deal. And I don't think she'll get that streak again, but her career high will go up and she's going to make some deep runs. Uh, so Samsonova, she's going to keep getting better. Which is why she was on this list, because I think she could be one to just explode yeah, in 2023. I like her a lot. All right. With that said, Let's the last it. thing we wanted to do having Chiz here today, and yes. obviously longtime listeners will remember this segment, was one of our opening segments on our original show. We call it the Changeover Chat, and of course, Changeover Chat is supposed to be the sort of conversations you have with your tennis friends when you're goofing around, when you're enjoying some of the abstract thoughts as they relate to the tennis world. So with that in mind, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, let's bring back that Changeover Chat sound effect, and Chiz, let's get into it. Change It's time for this week's changeover chat. The changeover chat. So the place we want to start today, we have two activities. We have tennis pet peeves, which I think is fun, but I think even more fun than that. We created some scenarios for one another, a little game of would you rather do X or Y as a gracious host and a guy who thinks he has you beat in his scenarios. I want to hear yours first. So I open up to you, Chiz. This was his idea. Let's be clear. This was your idea. Give it to me. Yes. I'm so upset we didn't tease this early on. I'm so proud of all the listeners that are still listening. Okay, you're going to love this. (laughs) You know what we'll do? We're going to cut this off as a separate segment and we'll release it on its own so it gets its own shine. Love it. Okay. Would you rather number one for Alex Gruskin? Okay, two scenarios. The first scenario is Roger Federer joins your podcast next week, okay? (laughs) He is yours for an hour. You set up the Zoom. You're both on camera. He retweets everything you post. He even posts something (laughs) on his own account. He loves you. Like, Roger's, like, laughing. It's just a dream interview. He's all yours exclusive for an hour next week, okay, on your personal podcast. Okay. That is option number one. Okay. Your option number two is... You get free first-class flights anywhere in the world for the rest of your life. I mean, this isn't even a conversation. Like, it's Federer joining the show, Chiz. (laughs) I'm I'm recording five pods today. If I get the Federer interview, that's a one-show day. That's like a take the rest of the week off, Alex. You earned it. Like, let's go. Nick. Oh man! Flying? Who cares? Like, no, I love this. Okay, for let's just slow down for a second. Like, okay, you know what? As you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have known that Federer (laughs) on with him. So, you're right. I should have said something like free car payment, mortgage, rent for the next ten years of your life, or maybe it's just a stack of cash, like a hundred thousand or whatever. But I will say, free first class flights anywhere you and someone else. I mean, oh, I get someone else too. What? Yeah, yeah. Wait, go on. Sorry. Now well, that now that I'm looking at your face, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Why? That wasn't tough at all. Of course, you're going to take better. But I don't know. I think there's some people at home would be like, okay, wait, let me present you this scenario. Okay. okay, Federer comes on. He reposts all your stuff. Ha ha. But then let's be honest. You know, maybe that does propel a big spark in your career because it probably would. That's a big yeah. deal. But then you know, it's very likely 18 months from now. Your Federer videos go down the timeline. <laughs> no one really remembers. Like, 
you can't keep retweeting the same stupid combo. It gets a little dated. And then you know what? You're going to be sitting at home. You're going to want to go on some sweet trip to Europe and you're going to look up your flights and it's going to be like 10 grand in flights. You'd be like, God, I should have taken the offer of free first class flights the rest of your life, bro. Anywhere. You're you're right in the sense that also, let's say I want to go to Wimbledon or the French Open for a tournament. It's paid for. I don't have to worry about that. But here's where you're wrong. I get the Federer interview. It will go well enough to where now our viewership is through the roof and someone will be paying for me to go to all these tournaments anyways. And now I don't even have to worry about the first class flights because they're paying for my flights because we had Federer on the show. So great. call. That's 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 how you battle through it. You did great. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, my first one to you. You mentioned the idea of being an agent earlier today. So that's where I turn to for scenario number one. My question to you, Jeff Chisiver, as of right now, who would you rather be the press agent for? Nick Kyrgios or Stefano Tsitsipas? (laughs) (laughs) This is a thinker. Um... It's good. Tsitsipas. Okay, make the argument. So there's always got to be a money lens to these questions because mm-hmm. let's just be honest. <laughs> uh, so if I'm already tied to Sissy Poss in a professional manner, I just think there's more money to be had, even though there's some big time pull and numbers with Kyrgios, but he's just a little too inconsistent mentally for me to like yeah. to really bank on that as my number one moneymaker as a worker. And the press agent thing, like, I get it. Like, you know, you're putting out fires for all this stupidity. But at least, even though I roll my eyes at all of it, at least Sissipas has a little bit of endearing qualities because he's, like, thoughtful. And, like, you feel like there's some... There's something profound in that yeah. mind somewhere. <laughs> Whereas Kyrgios is the more like bold. Maybe you nod your head, you agree with it, and it's kind of funnier. But I'm taking this question more as seriously for my career that I totally get the back and forth between the two. But I'm going to go with Sissipas because his professionalism on the tennis court is going to provide more money and consistency for me. So I will go with Sitsipas. That's the right answer. You also feel like as this press agent, you just be like, dude, I changed your Twitter password. Like, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's like, a good call. Come on. Like, and you just feel like he might listen if you're like, dude, you know what you don't know about? Feminism. Like, you know what you shouldn't be tweeting about? Feminism, Sitsipas. And like, maybe you're like, Stefanos, please just trust me. And and like, 100%. I'll get you on a podcast to talk about it, but don't tweet about it. Um, yes. Versus Nick, where, pun intended, the highs might be a little bit higher, um, but you're just like, it could be over in three months, where he's just like, nope, yes. I'm done with you. Like, I just, and, I don't believe in you anymore. And Sitsipas is like, his sorries later will just yeah. be a little more endearing. <laughs> They'll be a little more endearing. That, and you'll like, 10.45 p.m. text of, like, look, Jeff, I didn't mean to do that. I sincerely apologize. The Greek philosopher Aristotle once said that in moments of apologies, you find your true self, and I've truly found myself in apologizing to you. You'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like Steph, enough. Like, it's fine. Don't worry. I'll see you yeah. tomorrow. You um, so, Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So that's the correct answer. All right, next one you have. Okay, next one for me. Uh So you are going to be awarded a million dollars if you accomplish one of the following two and you get to choose which two you get. So one is you get one free throw attempt in basketball. 
And the other one is you ju- you have to return Rafael Nadal's serve, but it's a second serve in the sense that if he misses it, you win the million dollars. And all you got to do is get it in play. So it's a free throw or it is return Nadal's serve, but he only gets one attempt at the serve and your shot just has to land in the court, in the singles court. I mean, again, one, not a zero on the binary scale. I could I return a Rafa second serve. I like, well, do we have crowds in both scenarios? Great question. Um, <laughs> no, it's, Great it's, question. You know it is, it's, it's just like, it's, you know what it is? It's like he just did a practice with Felix and then you have to run on looking all lame. Like, oh, here's Gruskin for a million. And everyone's just like, what's going on? But he just, he did hits one serve against you and, so, and you're cold. You haven't been hitting. You're cold. Yeah. So as in Cleveland this year, Cleveland Open, WTA event, shout out, I got to serve as MC. And one of the night times in between the singles and the doubles, we did an on-court activity where you had to make an overhead fed high in the air, and then you had to make a tweener. And if you did it, you won the prize, which was some check. And no one successfully made the tweener or any of it. So me, in my jeans, I said, give me the racket. And there's video of this. I make the overhead. I make the tweener as well. And maybe my the, the smartest thing I've ever done is immediately I drop the racket and bow to the crowd. And thank God someone was filming because I was like, Alex, you clutch mother Like you've done it again. <laughs> um, I was like, thank God that looked as cool as like I hoped it would. Um, I think I could make a second. I like, look, was I an excellent JCC big man? Yeah, because I was taller than the rest of my Jewish cohort. But I'm not good at basketball. Like, right. So I would, I would guess, like, I'm not saying you're worse or better. I would just guess in that moment, you're probably yeah. 50-50 make the free throw, maybe 40% just because, like, tough, there's though. pressure because it's a million dollars. Yeah, Rafa staring down at you. Yeah, um, and Rafa, the thing with Rafa is he's got that lefty spin. I don't know if you'd rather take it from the deuce or the ad, but I could see you getting a little tight and you just try to chip it back, but you just catch the yeah. dead part of the frame. You know oh, I'm I mean? sw- no, I'm swinging through the backhand. If no, he hits the four, if he goes Shut kick wide, no, if he goes kick wide on the forehand, I'm in trouble. Like that would be where Dude, I'm like, uh oh. You're not swinging through anything. You're holding no, a volley. <laughs> you're holding a volley grip and you're no. just chipping it high. Two right. steps, well, split you know step, what? take forward. I'm taking it on the rise. I'm chipping a Bro, charge. If you're, if, if, <laughs> if I'm your agent and you said you're swinging through it, I'm telling you not to take that <laughs> deal and do the free throw. All right. Well, then on that note, this is an imp- improvisation. And by the way, this is going exceptional. Great call. by On our other podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, we say, hey, great shot to great ideas. Hey, great shot to you, Chase. Thank this you. was wonderful. Thank and this you. is why you do what you do. Um, all right. In that note, we bring up Rafa. <laughs> Who would you rather tell you're the hairstylist for Rafa or for Alcaraz? Who would you rather have the conversation of like, look, we got to change up this haircut situation because it's just not working. Like, what do you mean? Like, like, I, like you like, tell Carlos, I, like, you got to stop with the bangs versus telling Rafa, like, dude, just shave it. Like, okay, it's just got it. Time. Like, I just have to be, I'm like somehow, you're the hair a, whisperer. I'm somehow an authority yeah. on hair and I <laughs> yeah. need to like break the news to him, but he's going to take the news as if it's serious. They're and, like, bo- exactly. Cause Rafa's never not taken something seriously in his life. So he turns to you, Jeff Chisiver, my consultant on all things do what, tell me what I do up top. So for clout purposes, I would love to take Rafa because that's like a famous hair story. Like LeBron, yeah, like you're balding. Like, like I would love to tell the story that I was a part of a, a, a real hair transformation in Rafa Nadal's career, but 
because I'd be such a wimp, it would be so awkward. Because I, I just imagine Rafa's faces and the way he reacts to things in press conferences. Carlos Alcaraz is just much younger. He's still a young boy. I feel like in the moment, if I had to look at both of them and pick, I would be a wimp and I would pick Alcaraz because it would be an easier conversation and I feel like he'd be way more receptive to it. I don't know what I'd go for, like a little more gel, like push it back or something. I get what you're saying, no bangs. But does he wear, does he do a different hairstyle when he goes out? Like maybe some people do different when they're on the court. They go dry, they push it forward. I don't know. But the brave soul in me says, I want the Rafa hair clout, but realistically I would go to Alcaraz cause it would be a little smoother and a, and a, a little less awkward. Yeah. It's the right answer. You feel like there's more to work with. Although I like <laughs> being part of a, of a once in a generation hair story, <laughs> telling the narrative of Rafa. That's a great spin. Um, all right. I've got a couple other, I got three left for you, but I defer to you. What, well, what you got we left? only do one left. Cause then we have 10 minutes left for pet peeves. Oh, ooh, that's a well, good call. Okay, let's see. Okay, my one. No, because I have quick. fewer pet peeves than this. Yeah, we can just go okay. a little quicker through. This. Okay, here's my last. Would you rather for you? Okay. Okay, you snap your fingers. Okay. And you're 17 years old. You're the number one junior tennis player in the country. Every college has offered you a full scholarship. You're already ranked like 500 in the world. You might even consider going pro. Like it's not crazy to think that, but. You get to go back to 17. I forget how old you are, but you <laughs> 27. So, wow. So you, I mean, that's already sounding great. Cause you get to go back 10 years in your yeah. life and kind of redo things. But just because you're the number one junior, doesn't mean you're going to just ball in tennis as we know it's such a <laughs> tough sport. Yeah. So it's either that or you snap your fingers and you fast forward two years. So now you've lost two years in your life. But when you fast forward two years, you are all of a sudden the Scott Van Pelt of tennis. You oh. have your own talk show on Sunday nights. You got the best guests. You're the lead play-by-play guy for whatever network's doing all the slams. Like, you know, whatever. You're Chris Fowler and you're Scott Van Pelt of tennis. Oh. So you lose two years in your life, but you kind of have already gotten to the mountaintop of where you want to be as far as what you're doing right now. Or do I want to give this tennis thing a go and you kind of have the ability to become like a really – maybe good pro or at least a really good college player. That's such a good one. That's such a freaking good one. Um, uh, so here's, can I ask a couple follow-ups? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Follow-up number one, this future show I have, is it called Triple G where it's Gruskin, Gross, and Jeff? Is that the show <laughs> we're doing? Is that, I mean, can that be part I'd of love it? to be part of it, but it's basically like yeah, it's your kingdom. Like you do it. It's, it's three white you. men with Jewish roots is the perfect show for us. It, it so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, non-bar yeah. mitzvah. Yeah, that's, that's per- Jewish divine. No, we'll we'll con- Gil and I will convert you by the end. We'll have okay. bar mitzvah. That's season two when we have to get we have to fill hours. That'll be the bar mitzvah <laughs> episode. Um, Man, it would be really fun to miss the two. It, I really hate to miss the two-year ride, but I've seen the Adam Sandler movie, and I like know he regrets missing those jumps into the future. Here's the thing: that would be. I've, I spent a lot of hours on the bike, and to skip through two years of spending on the bike and be like, "Oh, I'm established. I can get fat now." That would be delightful. Um, I'm just not a good enough athlete. Like I can just be realistic. I'm the anti-Shakira. My hips. No, but do you lie. are. No, but. 
that first scenario is you are you're like yeah. you're you're the number one junior in the world here's and, the thing. sorry in the country i just want to have the conversation with my parents where it's like i think i'm gonna go pro and they'd be like no you're not like you are going <laughs> to play at stanford like you have the opportunity you have yeah. to do it um oh man it's tough i had a really fun last 10 years <sighs> I, oh, man, this is really good. As fun as playing would be, I'll take the future scenario simply because, like, and again, this is what it comes back to. Who do you need to keep happy in your life? If that happens, my parents will just – there will be an ease they'll have, and that would be more worth it than any of the pro tennis stuff, as fun as that journey would be. Yeah. So I'll also take future – I'll take future SVP. Yeah. Oh, but it's close. Which would you – which side are you on? So – Another thing for you is you could go back 10 years, enjoy it, be great, but flame out in the pros, but still become the SVP. But that's not guaranteed. And that's really hard to do. But I like your realistic approach. Like, yeah, it would be I would love the idea of going back in life and doing life over, knowing what you know now. Like that is so powerful. And to do Mm -hmm. college again would be so fun. But because I'm afraid of playing tennis anyway, (laughs) tennis, I look like. I love getting out there now. I loved all my time, but like, it's so frustrating, man. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know like, the idea that you have a chance to be like a top 10 player and you can make a lot of money and be really cool. But I'm kind of with you. Maybe it's more pathetic and less brave, but I, it's losing two years. Well, I don't know. I'm a little older, man. I'm 36. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? I, I, I'm I'm going to go back 10 years. Okay. It's fair. So then I have yeah. two rapid fires for you yeah. um, in this category. Lose a match 7-6 in the third or just lose it 0-0? Which do you prefer? Which would you rather? Like, it would be 7-6 in the third because if I lost 0-0, it means that that 32 minutes to an hour, like, I was probably chucking rackets, gritting my teeth. <laughs> and I've been in those moments before, like college, fall, individual season, Fresno State, backdraw, like <laughs> hating myself, just wanting to go to freaking with the yeah. team to Olive Garden afterwards. <laughs> Not much going on in the Fresno yeah. food choices. But I just know that that O&O loss meant like I just took a step back in my life because I was miserable. I couldn't overcome the mental battles and I literally tanked and I hated it versus at least seven, six and a third. I would learn a little something from it. Um, and I was competing. Like I get the idea like, oh, it's such a heartbreaker. But if I lost O&O, it means I was an extreme baby during that match and I was not having a good time. And I took a step back as far as like just being a mature competitor. Fair. The other one on this note, and this will reveal who you are as a human. You win, team loses, team wins, you lose. So very quick, very quick, easy answer is the winning part because I've been there before. And like, that's why I even got back into tennis because it was a team format. There were some scenarios, I'm not going to lie, like the one time I beat Steve Johnson and Robert Farah, they were ranked <laughs> one in the country. And because I knew we were going to lose to USC, it's crazy to say this, but I would, there was probably thoughts in my mind that I would prefer that because I my ranking would stay high. I got to play NCAAs, which is what happened, but it was only because I was pretty sure we were still going to lose in the team. But if you told me we were going to be three all with a chance to win it, I would for sure sacrifice the loss for the team because I've been there so many times where I've played in the doubles 
and wasn't in the singles lineup. And as soon as the doubles was over, even if I won my doubles match and we lost the doubles point, I didn't care at all. Like I can with confidence say that, that the easy answer is the team win. But I did provide one realistic scenario where I might have taken the selfish response. And that would only be be because I thought for sure we'd lose in the team, if that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. I'll say this. When you win and the team loses, like you don't celebrate the win. No, you definitely feel a little bit better about like you can go to sleep at night. My problem is if the team wins and I lose. I mean, both instances, I'm not sleeping. I was never a good sleeper the night of or the night after a match. But, like, unless we won, then you sleep like a baby. Um, But it's the double win scenario. It's just, like, sometimes in a team win, you lose. Sometimes you're even more angry with yourself. You're just like, well, if everyone else was winning, what did I do wrong? No, How could I not get this win? No, I think it's both. I'm saying that's the argument for the other side. Now, I I agree with you, like— Because ultimately, you never just want to share in people's misery. Like, it's just better when a team wins. I agree with you. But I I see the other side is what I'm trying to say. Um, Yeah. Yeah. All right. With all that said, here's what I'm going to ask you. Well, I was going to say, do you want to do pet peeves or do you have free time here in December? And we can tease it as the next changeover chat appearance. Oh, I see. You see what we do there? That in the business is called a tease. I mean, look, I'm doing nothing here in December, my friend. Like, I would love to. It's like, it's stupid. My call is not even that important. It's like, it's this, it's like my 401k financial talk (laughs) dude for Sinclair. So, I don't know. What do you think? I guess that's a good point. Should we just. No, I I want it as a tease because I really like this changeover chat and I really like this one topic and I think it's perfect to stand alone. And so, if you have any others, throw them at me for the wood. Let's just. How about we do one little pet peeve and it's like a mini tease, but we get one in. Now we're talking. So, what were you thinking? And by the way, how about this? When we post the podcast, and you'll be surprised how many people listen to minute 67 of this show, Chiz. um, No. <laughs> Anyone who has any pet peeves, send them to Chiz and I. I yes. will tag you in the tweet. We will release them. They will be a part of our next conversation. Give me the tease. Okay, love it. And I'll be able to come up with so many more. But so yeah. there's many different layers to this. So one of mine was let's first do a, a pet peeve as a tennis TV viewer. And everyone's going to agree with me on this one. And that is when, and, and we understand how TV works. Like there's what's called a director. The director chooses which tam- cameras to take. And the most obvious pet peeve as a viewer is when the match is ending and they're walking to the handshake and the director, for some reason, cuts to just random fan shots as the players are doing a live handshake. And it's the most annoying thing ever because for some reason we're obsessed with seeing the embrace at the net. If they're cold, do they hug each other? You know, do they do the chest pat? Is it petty? Is it Ostapenko and Tomjanovich? Do they not want to look each other in the eyes? So it's especially frustrating when there's some drama or beef during the match, but when a director somehow does not get the live handshake during a match, I really want to kill that guy. And there's one famous <laughs> instance of this, and that is when Sitsipas and Kyrgios played at Wimbledon. It was such a circus. It was so hilarious, so much drama. And I think I'm right on this. That they missed, they did. I know they did because I remember they had to go to the slow mo later on ESPN. They missed <laughs> the live handshake between Sitsipas and Kyrgios after all that beef, and it wasn't even like they went to some like great shot. It was just some random fans. Like, like, what are you doing, bro? What <laughs> are you doing? Yeah, that is on the pet peeve list. I think it's like the money all, shot. Well, I also say like all. Like, I hate commercials. They pay the bills. But, like, if a chair umpire is talking to a player, 
You need to hear it. And like all these small interactions, because there's such little dialogue, there's so much, you know, action, but such little dialogue that's actually captured. I want the smack talk. I want the complaints. I want all of it. I want people mic'd up. This gets us into our pet peeves, which, of course, we will discuss the next time we have Jeff on the show. Good. Just so people can understand, you can go anywhere with this. So now I'm going to go there. I have so many in the pro tennis, but one in the juniors, which is just, it drives me crazy if I were to hear this. And that's, this is, this probably happens in college too, but that's like, you, you lose the point And then the junior says something to the effect out loud, like something like, Oh my God, he's got no backhand. Like, <laughs> Dude, just keep it to his forehand. Like something like, you know, to make him like something like that. It's like, I've probably done it before, so <laughs> I get it, but it doesn't mean I don't want to inflict harm on that person after he says it out loud. Okay, like, dude, you, you're like, right, but you're wrong, because I love it. There's <laughs> there's no smack talk in tennis. That's you're as right. close as it gets, and it's like, give me you're more right. of that. Like, inject that in my veins. Um, you're so right. It's yeah. still a pet peeve if I'm his opponent, but you're 100%. so right. This 100%. is a non-contact sport. And and you're right. We're all for drama and pettiness. So exactly, the I kind of like it. But the I only still contact like, I can oh make. Oh my god, you're so weak, bro. But yeah, you're right. You the only right. contact you can make is with your words. And so like they got to yep. sting. And so that would be the sting. But with all that said, Jeff Chisver, Tennis Channel play-by-play announcer, producer behind the scenes, and I'm gonna just foreshadow. I think potential recurring guest here at Cracked Racket. So Let's I appreciate you taking the time. By the way. We're getting into 2007 college tennis the next time you're on this show, just to be abundantly clear. I left that off the queue for episode one, but there's like seven people in the world I can talk about it with, and you're one of them. 2009 so. is where I need to go. That was my senior year, and there's going to be a lot of eight-game pro sets. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the first Stevie year. So shout out to the USC Trojan. 09 was a pivotal moment. Again, we. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to get into that tangent. I'll save it for a different time. Jeff Chisover. Thank you very much for taking the time. Yo, that was fun, man. Thanks for having me.